1: This is the Carlin vs. Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.
0: Just a brutal, brutal end to the season for the Buffalo Bills, but they are all too familiar with what that feels like. It's Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio on Sirius 6M. Channel 80, is the window starting to close, though, on Buffalo? We've gotten some of your calls in on it. We will get more in at 888-SAY-ESPN, 888 729 Right now, though, we welcome in Kevin Clark from the This Is Football podcast for Omaha Productions and ESPN. Kevin, it's Carlin, it's Joe. We appreciate a few minutes, as always. So coming out of last night's game... How do you feel? How should we feel about Josh Allen? How should we feel about the Buffalo Bills and whether or not the window is really closing on them at the moment?
2: I don't think the window is closed, guys. Um, I believe Joe Burrow spoke to this a couple of years ago when he said that the window is open as long as he's there. And I think Josh Allen, I think Mahomes, obviously, I think there's a bunch of guys, Lamar Jackson, who are in that sort of zone. So I don't think the window is closed I think that Mahomes, if you didn't already know this, is in his Michael Jordan era, and then when someone's doing that, that means someone's Carl Malone, someone's Sean Kemp. Um, mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of guys who are minor characters until proven otherwise. Josh Allen is as close to you can get as to toppling the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, and it just wasn't enough. And, and the, the margins were razor thin, guys. Um, I mean, like, you know, if Shurfield catches one, if Diggs catches that that pass that went 63 yards in the air, we're having a completely different conversation. This is not, to me, on Tyler Bass. This is on the supporting cast letting Josh Allen down. Everybody's talking about the Shakir uh, potential touchdown at the end. Well, that was because Chris Jones pushed Deion Dawkins into Josh Allen's lap. Um, this was razor thin. It, w- it was Mahomes plus the roster talent on the Chiefs. But I I don't think it's going to take much. It's not going to take a huge organizational overhaul for the Bills to eventually win one of these games.
3: Clark, I'm biting my tongue. Would love to ask you about Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes' chances this coming season, (laughs) but that is for another time. You and I can discuss that off the air, perhaps. I'm going to keep it on topic. A lot of discussion about Sean McDermott. Earlier this season it looked like he might be headed in the wrong direction with the Bills at six and six. They rally late, they get to this point, but ultimately they come up short. Is he the guy for them in the future, knowing what's currently out there? So
2: I have a weird philosophy, not a weird, but like a probably a different philosophy on coaches than than most people. I think if you can upgrade, you should. Would Mike Vrabel be a better coach for the Bills? Probably. Would Bill Belichick be a better coach for the Bills? Probably. But in Sean McDermott's defense, A, he's presided over one of the best evolutions and builds of a team that I've seen since they started covering the NFL. One of the best rise, uh, rises in, in young quarterback play in Josh Allen in the history of the modern sport when you consider his accuracy issues coming out of college. Um, and I also don't think Sean McDermott is the reason they lost that game yesterday. Um, and so, I get, again, I would not make some huge, you know, clean house, build differently around Josh Allen or whatever – You have to stay the course. They made some roster decisions that, in retrospect, were very, very short-sighted. Signing Von Miller to that huge contract because you wanted more pass rush, complete disaster uh, just financially, culturally, everything. Bad decision. Um, It's an old roster. It's an expensive roster. Um, They can't really, without taking a lot of medicine, um, reset this thing. And so I think the most important thing is staying the course, knowing – to not overreact to a game like this because I think the biggest problem I see when when teams can't get over the hump is all they want to do is focus on getting over the hump and then they don't see the Bengals coming. They don't see the Chargers coming if they get the hardball. They don't see the Dolphins coming. If you build to get over one hump, you might not get over others. And so I think you just stay the course, keep fighting the war on all fronts, and eventually you will break through.
3: Not controversial enough. Not controversial enough, Clark. (laughs) Well, I'm going to take care of that right now. Uh, Here we go.
0: (laughs) Kevin Clark is with us in the... This Football Podcast. Okay, so having said that, though, when McDermott is the guy that over the last several years has been the coach, and while Mahomes Mm -hmm. is there, and it is his Michael Jordan era, so to speak, when do you look at this and say, well, I can upgrade this, and it's not just about getting over a hump, it's about getting over the hump in general. Maybe this coach can only take me so far, and I may never have a definitive or definitively better opportunity to upgrade than what I have right now with the candidates out there yeah
2: listen that's that's one way to look at it but I think the most important thing to me is Sean McDermott's not the reason Diggs dropped that pass um Shurfield could have had one of those as I said earlier I think that's a that's a personnel thing guys um and I think that's what you start looking at eventually and saying, are the guys being brought in? I mean, like, Ky- Kyrie Lim has been a little bit better, um, but he was a healthy scratcher earlier this year as a first-round pick a couple of years ago. Um, the personnel around Josh Allen, they have not hit on as many studs. I mean, you think about the Chiefs and Brett Feach. Right now, that that is the youngest defense in the NFL, and it's one of the best. And everybody talks about the wide receiver stuff and they say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't have have the, the skill guys around him. It's going to be much more important in the long run for him to have an elite defense going forward than an elite receiving core. He can fix the receiving core. That's fine. That's on him. But I think what has Buffalo done roster wise to help Josh Allen in the last couple of years? It has not been great. And so I'm more concerned about personnel than decision making because I don't think they did anything necessarily wrong yesterday from a game management standpoint. I I, 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 I am not a huge Sean McDermott fan, but I do not think he threw anything loss yesterday.
3: Kevin Clark joining us, Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio. Speaking of that spo- supporting cast, Steph Diggs, do you see him back with the Bills yeah. next season?
2: I mean, I, you, you can be a
3: uh,
2: – I don't know how to phrase this. Um, it seems like there was some tension, right, going into this season. And you can do that if you're really good, if you are really good at your job. And if there's a, I'm not saying there is, but if there's a, hey, you know, Josh doesn't want him back or whatever, any of those, any of those things, it's a lot easier to get rid of a guy when he's not playing at a top 10, top five level. And he's just not. And so um, he's expensive. It's he's, he's part of the expensive roster. Um, it seems to have run its course there uh in 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 buffalo and maybe they just need a personnel reset on the offensive side of the ball um i assume joe brady will not get a um a head coaching job but and so he'll be back as offensive coordinator um we saw kind of the identity with james cook and, and that change over the course of the year but he still had 1100 yards and so even if you're he's a solid guy to bring back um, I just think you need to know what your plan is for him, what your identity is to go forward, and just hope that uh, everybody's rolling in the right direction because he's not playing well enough to be a distraction, if that makes sense.
0: Kevin Clark up with us. At the foot- This is football podcast for Omaha Productions and ESPN with Carlin versus Joe on ESPN Radio. How vulnerable are the 49ers right now?
1: Well,
2: I mean, the biggest problem for me, guys, is that Debo Samuel is 50-50 to play. And it seems to me like if you take one piece of the – one Jenga piece away, every single – you know, whether that's um, obviously somebody like Trent Williams, obviously if it's Debo, if it's if it's George Kittle, it just seems like the offense is not a, a well-oiled machine. Um, Kyle Shanahan is the best offensive coach in football right now. Um, I'd say even better right now on January 22nd than Andy Reid, um, which I would have never imagined saying even – three years ago, but that now I, I I think it is. How vulnerable are they? Brock Purdy can't play in the rain, um, which is a struggle. Um, Brock Purdy can run the Shanahan offense in a really efficient way, but there's enough um, variables there where I'd be a little bit worried. I would not be surprised if Detroit wins this game because of the way they like to play and because of the shortcomings we've seen from the Niners over the past couple of months. Um, we've seen Purdy be mortal uh, in that offense, which I think earlier in the season we didn't think was possible. He did not play a good game uh, against the Packers. The Packers should have won that game many times over. They left points in the table. They left yards in the table. Even the end-of-game scenarios this year obviously should have forced overtime. Um, I don't I'm not in love with this Niners team right now in a way that I was in, in October. And so, how vulnerable are they? Very. Um, because it seems like when they're not a well-oiled machine, they go down to A little bit above average, um, which doesn't win you the NFC championship game and certainly doesn't win you the Super Bowl. A
3: little bit of breaking news here on Carlin versus Joe. The Eagles have scheduled an end-of-season press conference for Wednesday with Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni. So all signs apparently indicate that Sirianni is returning. You know, we talked about it earlier, your thoughts on McDermott and how you go about replacing coaches. Do you think this is the right move bringing Sirianni back?
2: No, no. Uh, This is, like, when I say Sean McDermott is not the problem, we're talking about a divisional playoff game against the best quarterback of his era and and one of the best offensive minds in the history of football. It is totally okay to be second best in that kind of situation. What's not okay is the complete free fall and the lack of problem-solving From Nick Sirianni in the second half of the season, demoting Sean Desai and promoting Matt Patricia. You know, Matt Patricia is Nick Sirianni. You know, you're, you're a football mind. Um, If you're in a tailspin, an unprecedented tailspin um, and you can't push any buttons to get out of it, that's coaching. Like that, that is coaching. That is a tailor-made definition of a bad coaching job. And in Philadelphia, in that market, um, they're going to come in hating them in training camp, and they're going to hate him until proven otherwise. Is he a good enough coach to get out of this? I'm surprised. The, the, I don't think the answer is yes, by the way. I'm surprised to bring him back for this reason. Um, they, the infrastructure there, whether it's Lurie, Howie, they believe, and with good reason, they're always delivering a really good roster to the coach, and if anything gets sort of broken in that, that, that chain towards the Super Bowl, it's on the coach. And so I'm looking at this roster and I'm saying strong across the lines, um, good talent everywhere. The Georgia players that they drafted can play. Maybe there's some scheme issues there, um, but it's on you to figure it out. They never figured it out, in my opinion. Jalen Hurts was missing all year, uh, missing on throws. Uh, the, the, The skill guys didn't play up to their potential. I felt like there was a disconnect between the talent. And the coaching. And I'm really surprised by this and frankly, really disappointed because right now the NFC East, I I don't, I don't want to watch a game. The the unfortunate thing now is that every NFC East game is on in primetime. So we're going to to see Sirianni versus Mike McCarthy on, on two Sunday night games next year.
0: Uh, before we let you go, 20 seconds. Uh, in your own words, because Joe was uh, espousing you for this last week, it's a great phrase, who goes into next year now as the most pre-fired head coach? Is it, in fact, Nick
3: Sirianni? Such a great line, I Clark. Think, it's such a great line. I did not think Mike
2: McCarthy could be usurped. I thought Mike McCarthy was the king of pre-fired, like Mike Malarkey before him, like Josh McDaniels <laughs> before him. But guess what? The new number one pre-fired guy in the NFL in 2024 is Nick Sirianni, ladies and gentlemen.
0: (laughs) Well, there you have it. Kevin Clark, Clark, awesome stuff, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Kevin Clark, the This Is Football podcast for Omaha Productions and ESPN, Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You heard Kevin say something very interesting right there about the dynamic in Philadelphia. We will explain why that is the problem next on ESPN Radio.
1: This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.
0: cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply
1: must be 21 plus and present in select states gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply see app for details
0: kevin clark said something eye-opening toward the end there about the eagles situation carlin versus joe espn radio presented by progressive insurance Friends from superchargers, exhaust kits, and more, eBay Motors has over 122 million parts to keep your ride or die alive. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. In case you're just joining us, Joe gave you the news a few minutes ago that just came out. The Eagles have called a news conference for Wednesday their end-of-the-season news conference, and it includes Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni, which would lead you to believe that Nick Sirianni is coming back. That, coupled with the firing of Sean Desai officially this weekend after he was demoted uh, during the season from defensive coordinator they're letting matt patricia walk away so clearly they're making changes on the coaching staff and so it is interesting that they are not making a change at head coach here is kevin clark and his reaction uh on that news as we broke it to him on the air i'm surprised to bring him back
2: to this reason um they the infrastructure there whether right, it's they believe, and with good reason, they're always delivering a really good roster to the coach. And if anything gets sort of broken in that 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 chain towards the Super Bowl, it's on the coach. And so I'm looking at this roster, and I'm saying strong across the lines, good talent everywhere. The Georgia players that they drafted can play. Maybe there's some scheme issues there, um, but it's on you to figure it out. They never figured it out, in my opinion. Jalen Hurts was missing all year, missing on throws. The skill guys didn't play up to their potential. I felt like there was a disconnect between the talent and the coaching. And I'm really surprised by this and frankly really disappointed.
0: Joe, here's the issue for me, though. The Eagles' secondary was atrocious all season long. And I don't fully think that all had to do with the, the schemes that they were running. I think they were just bad. I don't think Slay had a great year. And I think we agree in lockstep on what happened with James Bradbury. But think about that first part of the sentence. Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie are always going to deliver you a great roster, and it's if we don't win, it's all your fault. Like, that, to me, is troubling.
3: Yeah, that Bradbury deal wasn't signed by Sirianni. Like, yeah. Roseman signed that deal, and Bradbury was one of the worst corners in the NFL this year. Absolutely. Kevin Byard was the big trade. You see how many business decisions he made out on the field in that Buccaneer game? Didn't look like he wanted 20. to get too dinged up heading great into point. the postseason. So I think there's blame all the way around. The thing that's going to come back to with me with Sirianni is that Kyle Shanahan calls plays. He's a head coach, but he also runs the offense. Sean McVay is a head coach who also runs the offense. Todd Bowles, a head coach who has a big hand in the defense, right? Nick Sirianni is a head coach who's not calling the offense or the defense. He leaves that to the coordinators. That's fine. Nick Saban did that at Alabama. But your job then, as the president and CEO overseeing all of this, is to make sure you got the culture right and you got the day-to-day operations flowing the way they need to flow. You are a resource. What can you do to put people in a better position to do their jobs? And Sirianni failed miserably at that. Mm -hmm. Down the stretch, that team fell apart. He didn't need to solve the offense because that's not his job. He didn't need to solve the defense because that's not his job. He needed to find a way to pull that team out of a tailspin. And every press conference was some empty platitude about, we're fighters, we'll get off the mat. But they didn't. Your message wasn't heard by the locker room. It wasn't received by the locker room. You closed the season losing six of seven. You got blown out by the Niners. You got blown out by the Cowboys. You blew a sure thing at Seattle late in the game. You let the Giants creep right back into it. The lousy Giants crept right back into it in a game that you did win. You blew it against the Cardinals at home. You got rolled by the Giants in the finale, and then you limped into the playoffs and got blown out by Tampa Bay. What does Nick Sirianni do? And when you tell me eventually what he does do, what does he do well? Because you're the guy that's got to yank them out of it. You're managing all that. He couldn't do anything to solve those issues late. Well, there's a
0: couple things there, right? I don't have any issue at all if they actually decided to fire him. I personally would bring him back, but if you are going to fire him, you better be able to upgrade, and that's why I kind of feel like they didn't do it because they didn't want to give it to a stronger head coach to a guy who's going to have more of a say in what goes on. It it does feel to a degree like we have to be able to keep you under our thumb. Now, having said that, Nick Sirianni was a complete embarrassment down the stretch of that season, and I think he's a front-running head coach. When everything's going great, he's your guy. When anybody dares criticize or, anybody is, uh, it, it, or things are not going well, he bails on you. Like, he spent... How many times last year complaining about the fact that people actually criticized Jonathan Gannon? Now, maybe it turns out he was right, but, like, nobody cares about what you think about the criticism, Nick. Inspire your players. There was no inspiration going on there in the second half of the year, and that kind of... Reaction comes from front-running head coaches.
3: Yeah, they don't handle adversity well. Second half of the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, they didn't handle that well at all. Now, you can say it's the Chiefs, sure, but it's not like they faced any adversity leading into the Super Bowl. The Niners were dinged up. They jumped on them early, and they beat them up. The week before that, it was the Giants. Of course you should have won that game. And before that, you had the easiest schedule in the NFL. You know, this season, you faced a little adversity. Early in the season, it seemed like there was something going on with the wide receiver and A.J. Brown. Doesn't seem like that ever got resolved. Late in the season, Uh you started to lose some games, got worse, didn't get better. You replaced your defensive coordinator. You made a decision at some point to switch out the guy calling the defensive plays. That turned out to be a disaster. The guys you hired at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator to take over for the coordinators that left, they were a disaster. The one thing I know, Shane Steichen's a hell of a coach. Right? Last year, you can say it was Sirianni or Hertz, but you take Steichen out of the equation. Sirianni and Hertz look a hell of a lot worse. Steichen went to India and looked fantastic. It's clear that guy knows what he's doing. And you know what? People can make jokes about Jonathan Gannon, but he went to Arizona and he got more out of the Cardinals than I think a lot of people expected this season. So those coordinators leaving, it yep. lo- like I know we keep talking about the Eagles and, well, they're going to go out and hire new coordinators. Well, then what's the head coach doing? What is his role? What mm-hmm. does he do? And does he do it well? And- the Eagles today interviewing Ron Rivera
0: for their defensive coordinator position. You like that?
3: I mean, Rivera is a steady presence. He's been around a long time. He's had some success. Uh, Coach of the year twice. I know it didn't go well in Washington, but, I mean, he's a guy who gets it. He's respected in the locker room. He's had success on that side of the ball. I could see that helping. I could see something like yeah. that helping. I, I'm, I don't know if that's the puts him over the top, but I think that could help for sure.
0: The only way to put him over the top was, again, to upgrade at the position. Like, now that you've decided to not do that, it feels like that decision was born out of just, we're going to maintain control and see
3: if you can fix it. And if you can't, we'll go
0: find the next guy who can.
3: Is it... And I, I... to, Siri, to uh, Kevin Clark's point about guys who are pre-fired, he said Mike McCarthy was the most pre-fired coach in history prior to Sirianni now. Is Rivera coming in to hold down the interim? Does Rivera get another head coaching shot here? <laughs> oh, he'll be the interim,
0: yeah. Well, interim, what, what time of year next year? Is it week 10? Week, it, it, would, it would get through. I, I have a feeling... Well, maybe they would go early if they started badly. Depends on what the they schedule looks like. started one and four.
3: Yeah. If they oh, if the start of the season four. is a continuation from what we got at the end of the season, it's over in a yeah. month.
0: Yeah, you're right. You're right. And then Rivera's coaching. <laughs> Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Once again, when it matters the most, one guy makes one more play than the other guy. What's it mean? It's next on ESPN Radio.
1: This is the Carlin vs. Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Enough is enough! I have had it with these <laughs> takes on this
0: plane! Everybody strap in!
1: This plane is headed down the runway and ready for the NFL takeoff.
0: Yes, it is. Not just the games from the weekend, but also some news today. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, your smart speaker wherever you need it. That's where we are. And by the way if you haven't subscribed to the podcast what are you doing get it wherever your podcasts are uh you get them you know like everywhere subscribe rate and review joseph let's start with the news of the day first of all the philadelphia eagles have scheduled their end of season news conference for wednesday that will include both howie roseman and nick sirianni sean desai who was the defensive coordinator until matt patricia took over he has been let go by the team so all indications are that, in fact, Nick Sirianni will be coming back as their head coach for next year. So we have talked about this quite a bit, and it feels like this is just a kind of meh, and then we'll see what happens next year. Doesn't
3: very, very interested to see who the offensive coordinator hire will be. Jalen Hurts, yeah. first year as a starter in the league. It was shaky as it is for a lot of young guys nothing wrong with that but it's not like it was extraordinary there was some potential but there was a lot that needed to be improved upon enter year two where he was a legitimate mvp candidate and went to the super bowl but then shane steichen leaves he takes the head coaching job with indianapolis and hurts his numbers this year really regressed lots of turnovers completion percentage wasn't all that impressive decision making processing all that stuff he's good He's above average, no doubt, but I'm very interested to see if it turns out last year was was it a little fluky or was this year the fluke? The offensive coordinator hire is going to be huge because you made a big investment in the quarterback.
0: Speaking of offensive coordinators, a little bit of a curveball thrown our way here. The
1: Chicago Bears.
0: Hey, They are finalizing a deal, to, according to our friend Courtney Cronin, to hire Shane Waldron as their next offensive coordinator. He was, of course, the offensive coordinator in Seattle. And Joe, we had operated under the assumption that Cliff Kingsbury, who it was reported last week was going to interview, would get that job leading up to them taking Caleb
3: Williams with that number one pick. I would love to know what happened there. Would love to know. Because it seemed like there were reports, there were rumors, rumors would be the right word, that Caleb Williams and, and Cliff Kingsbury could be a package deal. So the Bears are drafting number one overall. They bring in Kingsbury for an interview. Clearly, we're not overly impressed to the point where they gave him the job. So that doesn't mean they're going with... Fields or Williams. It just means Shane Waldron's the guy, but what a storyline this is going to be this offseason. It's going to be the top storyline. Every piece of information that comes out of Hallis Hall is going to be the world trying to disseminate whether or not it's going to be Fields moving forward and a trade at number one, or if it's going to be Williams at number one and a trade regarding Fields. It's a story that keeps on giving. Way to go, Chicago Bears. You're leading the headlines.
1: (laughs) The Atlanta Falcons.
3: Uh, According to reports, including
0: from Adam Schefter, the Falcons are going to have a second interview with Jim Harbaugh. Now, it seems very interesting on two fronts here that that's the case. Number one, that Harbaugh is meeting with them for a second time when we had all operated under the assumption that he was going to be the Chargers guy, but maybe that's just a leverage play on his part. But secondly... Bill Belichick already had his second interview, and it felt like a foregone conclusion last week that Bill was going to be their head coach
3: if he wanted to be their head coach. Joe, maybe that's not necessarily the case here. The Belichick angle here is fascinating to me, and I'm wondering if we, the people, are seeing him differently than the league is viewing him. Like We all assumed, oh my God, it's one of the greatest coaches in NFL history. It is the greatest coach in NFL history. He's on the market. He could improve, insert Dally, Dallas, insert Philly, insert Buffalo, insert Atlanta, insert the Chargers, insert any job. And yet, he's interviewed for one job. The Chargers haven't brought him in by any accounts. There's nothing he's linked to other than Atlanta. And if it was such a slam dunk hire, you'd Uh figure Atlanta would have already gotten the deal done and they'd move forward because Arthur Blank has been trying to land a big fish his entire career as the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. So this not being done only to continue interviewing Harbaugh, what do you think it is? Is it the possibility that they can't get Belichick or that they don't necessarily want Belichick?
0: Maybe they don't love what they hear about Belichick right now. You know, they certainly... It felt like it was a done deal, and it certainly felt like Bill with Kirk Cousins in Atlanta would have been much closer to a realistic option last week. I think this might have more to do with the Falcons not wanting to deal with him. Interesting. It's possible that, you know, Bill not necessarily being the easiest guy coupled with the last couple of years really
3: working against him. Or is everybody just playing a shell game here? Could be. The Falcons are bringing in Harbaugh to drive down the price or the yep. control on Belichick. Harbaugh is coming in with the Falcons to try yep. to get more out of the Chargers. This could all just be very wealthy businessmen doing very wealthy business-like things. Okay, let's hit the game.
1: Chiefs 27, Bills 24.
0: Look, we've talked about Josh Allen ad nauseum here. Can we talk about Patrick Mahomes a little bit more? Because he's now 8-0 in the wild card and divisional round in his career. 19 touchdowns, one interception, Joseph. Pretty good.
3: It's not great. It's pretty good. I mean, why'd you throw that pick? What happened there? Right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Come on, man! Brady wouldn't throw that end. pick. Brady doesn't throw that. Pick. <laughs> that game yesterday, I, Brady doesn't do it. We are gonna we're gonna slice this game every which way throughout the course of the show. Since this is a quicker moving conversation, I'm gonna just focus on this. There's no reason to get too banged up about what we saw yesterday, unless you're a Bills fan and you're upset, and then you have every reason to be. That was high level football. That was a great game, ultra competitive. Two great quarterbacks playing great quarterback. Like everything about that game was awesome yesterday. So so often, these these games, these fights, these matchups, these series, they don't live up to expectations. That did. Thank you to everyone involved in that game as a fan. It was incredible to watch. Totally agree.
1: Lions 31, Buccaneers 23.
3: You know what? Congratulations to
0: the fighting Dan Campbells. Uh the Bucs did not give up. Wouldn't have killed you to make the two point conversion. So you cover the six and a half. Yeah, come on, but Bulls. we'll let that go. Uh listen. Ultimately, the Lions were the better team yesterday and Jared Goff was the better quarterback. I'm happy for Detroit. Uh, Jury is still out for me on this game coming up this week.
3: And now we begin the conversation of whether or not Jared Goff can go outdoors, on the road, and perform at a high level. You want to talk about guys having a chance to flip narratives? Love everything I've seen. From Jared Goff, he's the perfect quarterback for Detroit, a city that's been beaten down, a city that's been overlooked, a city that's gone through as many hard times as anybody out there. Goff's that guy. Goff was discarded in the trade for Matthew Stafford. The Lions were giving up picks. Having to give up picks in order to take on the South, like everything about that deal screamed that he was just some afterthought and he's shutting people up left and right. I love it. Here's another huge opportunity to go into your hometown and shut them up as well.
0: It would be nice. Jared Goff, by the way, only three and six lifetime against San Francisco.
1: 49ers 24, Packers 21.
0: Is it okay to say that the 49ers were very fortunate to win the other night?
3: Purdy stunk. How many open receivers was he going to miss in that game?
0: Savage, hold on to the ball. I mean, for Pete's sake, how many picks could he have had in that game? Yeah,
3: that was Kyle Shanahan strikes me as a guy who went into that game with a game plan of throw happy early. It started raining. He said to himself, you know what? I still like the plan. We're going with it. And then he dug himself a little bit of a hole. Dude, you got the best running back in the game. Run the football.
0: Yep. And at the same time, listen, ultimately they got it done. Seven's a heavy number this week given their injury concerns right now. Packers,
3: we got to throw this in because I know it's the end of the conversation. Packers are sweet. That's a sweet organization they're running right there. That That team's dangerous, man.
0: Yeah, they are. They absolutely are.
1: Ravens 34, Texans 10.
0: Listen, Lamar Jackson went nuts at halftime in the locker room, went off. They went off in the second half, took complete control of that game. And then from there, it was very matter-of-fact. And I love Jackson's approach right now of, yeah, this is nice. We've got more to do. Reading Peter King this morning, it sounds... Very much like Lamar has been thoroughly bothered by the playoff narrative that has been around him, and he's looking to fix it now.
3: Great adjustments at the half. In that second quarter, Jackson looked like he was trying to do too much. They were trying to take deep shots down the field. He was, he was iffy with his decision-making. He was taking sacks. The offense looked all out of sorts. And then they came out, and they just went with a bunch of short to intermediate throws, and they took complete control of that game and ran away with it. Great decision-making by the Baltimore staff to get a little bit more comfortable, simplify it a little bit, and they, had, they were rewarded greatly for the adjustments.
0: Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80. There's always been a conversation about who's the biggest threat to Patrick Mahomes. That conversation could end Sunday. It's next on ESPN Radio.
1: This is the Carlin vs. Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.
3: Lamar with a snap. Quarterback draw off the middle. He's in the 10. Five. Touchdown! Mark Jackson rolls to the right, lob to the end zone, touchdown! Isaiah Likely with a leaping grab! It is all over in Baltimore. The Ravens are heading to the AFC Championship game. I really don't care about what people say. You
0: know, I'm I'm trying to win um, day in, day out. Every time I'm on that field, I'm trying to play to the best of my ability. He was terrific the other day, did everything you wanted him to do in a playoff game. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Joe Lamar, like, the numbers are never going to pop off the page like he threw for 450 yards and rushed for 210. But at no point in the second half of that game did I think for a second that the Houston Texans were going to win it, and the primary reason was Lamar Jackson in every way possible was in control of that
3: football game. He's the definition of the eye test. He is why it's so important to watch the games and not skip the game, look at the box score, and then go argue about what just happened. Because the box score at times might look, all right, passing-wise, 16 of 22, 152, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Like that's rock solid, but it's only 152 yards. So people might look at it and say, well, he's not much of a passer. Dude is dangerous. Yeah. Doesn't really matter. Any other way you want to slice it, he is extraordinarily dangerous back there. I couldn't imagine what it is like to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL trying to put together a plan for how to limit him. Not going to say stop because stopping him is probably impossible. But how you're going to limit Lamar Jackson, I mean, at any point, he can just cruise to 14 yards with his legs. By the way, credit to my friend for coming up with the Lamar Jackson over longest rush, one of the few winners I had this weekend, courtesy of you.
0: Giddy-up. I was on board that, too. 15 and a half yards. Got it done. Nice
3: and easy. Best bets are the ones you get done in the first half. So easy. He makes so it easy. look so easy. So I'm sitting easy. there, I'm like, this guy, he gets eight yards before he even has to make a decision about what's next. Cut left, yep. cut right, slide, keep going. It's incredible. It was fantastic. And
0: it does feel like he's getting closer and closer, I'm sure. Nah, because we... We got we to gotta finish, you know? Still playoffs. We're not in the dance yet, but I'm looking forward to next week, to be honest with you. I'm not even thinking about uh, Super Bowl until we end a business. Okay, so maybe not, but here's why. Yeah. What, what I love about Lamar Jackson, it's very clear that all of the playoff talk has bothered him for quite some time. And Joe, we both know that there have been athletes over the years that once they get paid that's all they were looking for and it became such a big deal with Lamar uh, these past the past year and a half with the Ravens and once it got done, this dude has been more motivated than ever. We both know plenty of people in life. Heck, Tony Romo, who've gotten paid and they're not putting in the effort that maybe
3: they should have. Not that game that game was damn near flawless yesterday, except for the broadcast. That yeah. we deserve yeah. better. As fans, we deserve better if we're going to give you three and a half hours of our time like that.
0: Yeah. Here again, here's an idea. Try. That's all. Put the Just work try.
3: in. Every time something is, is up for grabs, don't kick it over to the rules analyst. I'd but like I, to hear what you think. But I digress.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, with Lamar,
0: you can tell this is a guy that is starved for greatness. You know what I mean? It's, I know that's such a trite thing to say, but it. You can tell it legitimately bothers him from day one when people were telling him when Bill Polian is out there saying he should be playing wide receiver, this guy has done everything possible, about to win his second MVP, and he may not be on Mahomes' level yet because he obviously still has to win Super Bowls, but I'll tell you what, closer to Mahomes than Josh Allen. And when you look at this week and what's at stake for him this week, it even more ramps up to
3: what him
0: and his legacy and his place in this game are going
3: to be. It's the great Herb Brooks quote. We've been using it all day in relation to Josh Allen. We can use it right here for Lamar Jackson. Great moments are born from great opportunity. This is a monster opportunity for Lamar Jackson. It's the biggest opportunity he's had in his entire career. I'm not going to focus on what happens if he doesn't win it. I'm going to focus on what happens if he does. You take down Patrick Mahomes. You take down the big bad Chiefs. You're one of the very few to be able to achieve such a feat. After all, Mahomes 13-3 and in his career in the postseason. Who are the guys that have beaten him? Brady got him in the Super Bowl. Brady Mm -hmm. got him in that AFC championship. And Burrow got him, right? Yep. That's it. You join some extraordinary company and you take your team to the Super Bowl and you have a chance to win it all. You can rewrite everything. Absolutely everything. People know just how damn good you are. But in terms of face of the NFL sort of stuff, in terms of the recognition coming from the people that have been trying to hate on your game for years, this is how you go about erasing all of that. Mahomes is the guy that owns the league. To take a guy like that down, it makes careers. Right? We talk about this all the time in boxing and in UFC, these these gatekeeper fights. That's what this is right now. Patrick Mahomes is the gatekeeper of the AFC. You want greatness, you got to go through the gatekeeper.
0: So, as I'm looking at it, how is Steve Spagnuolo going to try to contain him? Like you're talking about last segment about the idea that if you're a defense or not last segment a few minutes ago, uh, an idea of a defensive coordinator just trying to have a limit, right? As I'm looking at the numbers over the years, Lamar Jackson is 1 in 3 against the Chiefs in his career. But last time out was two years ago. He beat him, had 16 carries, 107 yards, threw for 239 yards, a touchdown and two interceptions. Like, it's it's not amazing, but he won the game, and obviously he was a massive factor. And the last two times against the Chiefs, he's rushed for
3: nearly 200 total yards. Do you spy him? Do you say to yourself, look, we're gonna sell out against the run. Jackson's not gonna beat us with his feet, and we're gonna hope that the back end can do its job. Kansas See, it's City's different. coming in awfully banged up. They See, are the- awfully banged up. I love the Ravens in this game. Kansas City just came off a war. I think that it I think this is the Ravens time. And the guy that you want to do it with is Willie Gay, and he's banged up. He's banged up. I mean, you're sitting there. um, They were, someone was talking about in the broadcast, or Riddick, Lewis Riddick may have been talking about it on Twitter. But if you want to disrupt Lamar, you got to bring five and you can't give him time to process. You just got to get back there and you got to disrupt everything as quickly as possible. He can still get free in those situations. I don't know if we're going to see a heavy look of the Chiefs bringing five on a consistent basis and then hoping the other six can hold up in the back end. But remember, Mark Andrews could be coming back for this game. Which is a a huge huge boost for the Baltimore passing attack. This is a monstrous opportunity for Lamar Jackson here. Absolutely monstrous. And And then he's got two weeks of everyone talking about how great he is and how he can take over the NFL.
0: Well, I mean, just to your point, talk about opportunity. Look at everything else he's got to work with now on that offense, especially if you get Andrews back. Likely is a tremendous tight end, and he's their second best one. Uh, Zay Flowers, Odell, the receivers are that much better. And then you have Lamar himself able to dismantle a defense at any moment. Does it give you a little sense about where I'm headed this week? Because it's early. Three and a half looks juicy right now for the Ravens.
3: Vegas has been interesting. Vegas has been very interesting. Half the books open Ravens minus three. The other half open three and a half. The juice on the three and a half indicates it's moving towards three. The juice on the three indicates three and a half. Very rare do we get a matchup like this on a key number with the book split. Fascinating from a handicapping perspective.
0: Uh, I like it. Joseph, in moments, was this Josh Allen's best chance?
1: This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio.